Leonard, welcome to the Seamless Sounds podcast. Today, not Seamless Riyadh and not Seamless Dubai. That were that have been like the locations where we've recorded most of the Seamless Sounds podcast. But in Berlin, in the very nice uh, Berlin Messe, my first time here. So please introduce yourself and uh, just eat takeaway, which might many know from uh, from their own consumer behavior, but uh, not all of our podcast listeners. Yeah. Hey, Alex, good to be here and thank you for having me. Um, yeah, Len Neubauer, I'm part of the Just Eat Takeaway family or in short, Jet family. Been there for about two years now um, and I help with our group strategy in the sort of day-to-day -day operations across our 20 markets. Depending on where in the world you are, you know, in Germany, Austria, you might know them as Lieferando. In the UK, you know them as Just Eat and in the US as Grubhub. Um, and yeah, we've got the family across 20 markets in total. Yeah. So for the ones that are not like um, ordering regularly out of home, uh, which is the case uh, for our family, for for example, because there's not so many restaurants where you actually can order out of home in the more rural rural areas. Something special you need to explain here. What has what what has what has changed since the times of Pizza.de? Yeah, which I think was the first uh, in Germany. It was. Yes. Yeah. They, they actually, they were around before Lieferando, which came into place 2009. So. Yeah, I think the concept is, is in essence still the same. Um, you're at home and, and you order something in, um, from a place they'd usually go to in person. Um, what has changed though is the, the vast majority of restaurants now are listed on one of the aggregators or for online delivery. Um, pretty much all of them have to do it because there's a whole different world out there of people who no longer go to restaurants as much or wouldn't want to go to the restaurants as much. So the marketplace in essence, which was the core idea of, of, of the original Just Eat founders, which was the Dutch company, Teisbezog and our German company, um, Lieferando, it's pretty straightforward. You, you, you go on an app or you go on the website and you have access to all of the restaurants around you. Um, and you have access to their menu and they then bring that food to you. And do you still see like resistance of restaurants being listed on such a platform? Because like, especially in Germany, you see a lot of restaurants where they have at the entrance door, this kind of sign cash only, yeah. which is a very German thing. And then I say, okay, if they own, if they have cash only, most likely they would not accept uh, <laughs> orders from aggregator, but rather have people call them and say, this pasta, this pizza, this yeah. steak option. So is it still the case? Um, a lot less so, especially since the pandemic, um, because restaurants had no choice but to go on to delivery at the time you know, everything was closed. Um, you'd be surprised how many, especially in Germany, um, you know, very healthy amount of restaurants that do the, the delivery themselves still ask for cash. So cash and delivery aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. You can be listed on an aggregator and still have the cash uh, component. But it's very hard nowadays for restaurants not to be on an aggregator because at one point you've got the network effects working against you. If you're not listed there, you just don't get yourself in front of customers unless they know you anyways. But I remember though, some of the smaller pizza chains, for example, they try to push their own app or their own website. So this kind of strategy has failed because network, network effects eventually won. Network effects will always win with that. It follows the masses. I um, mean, especially if you've been around for so long, like many of our market platforms have, you know, you know, think about Bulgaria, Poland, Australia, they've been around for 10, 15 years. Some of them celebrating 20 years now. Um, you're so deeply engraved in the food consumption um, habit of people and um, that it's very hard for you to drive as much volume from a restaurant point of view without that online delivery component. Okay, so, but but um, I, I remember I had like the um, the COO of uh, Dominus Pizza yeah. uh, here, and that said, I guess there's obviously a certain share of like um, uh, volume that is ordered via aggregators, but with their direct-to-consumer app, they can offer like certain vouchers. And if there's like um, a Dominus 
hardcore user, um, this like five, six, seven percent price advantage actually uh, makes sense. And at, we had the same discussion this morning at a panel with uh, with Carsten from from King Food Denmark, who's uh, who's managing the Burger King. Um, brand over there in Denmark. Uh, right now, they don't have a direct uh, direct ordering um, option, but obviously rely on aggregators. But this kind of brands do have the potential to do it, right? Yeah, but there's a few selective ones. Domino's is a good example. McDonald's is another one, especially in the UK and Germany. They're just that big. And a vast majority of the orders that actually come in, both in Germany and the UK, for example, actually are the big uh, fast food chains that we know. Now, they're just that big, but again, because they're so culturally ingrained in the food consumption culture of people that it is possible. But even those would list on um, our platforms. Now, what they may choose not to do, just like Domino's, is that they have us doing the delivery for them. So these big aggregators like Just Eat, like Leaf Ramblin, like many others, they have a big delivery component. So we do the delivery for restaurants. For, for the ones that are not owning a restaurant, can you can you give us like a, a quick run through, through, the, through the numbers? So uh, um, I don't think that's kind of a secret. If you're, if you're, if you're talking about like a 100, no, it's maybe too much, maybe a 50 dollar, 50 euro delivery in, in Germany. Yep. I, I go to Liverando, order like for 50 dollars at my favorite pizzeria or sushi mm -hmm. restaurant. So what are the fees I have to pay as a restaurant uh, just for the order? What are the fee for the logistics kind yep. of thing? And is it kind of a monthly fee involved? So there isn't. Um, with the pandemic, all sort of sign-on fees for, for restaurants were scrapped because we, we wanted to be there for restaurants and give them opportunity to market themselves. So um, no matter where you go and you run a restaurants, you would enlist on these platforms for free, so to speak. And then there are two models that you choose from when partnering with any of the Justy family or, or any of the other big aggregators. One is what would you typically call the, the marketplace model where the, the platform, the Justy platform is really just a marketplace. Um, and you would pay somewhere between 11 and 13% commission to Just Eat for getting you that order. Um, but you do the delivery themselves. Now, if you actually have Just Eat doing the delivery for you on your behalf, that goes up to 25 to 30%, which sounds like a lot. Um, and we can talk about that in a second, but the unique economics of the last one delivery, one of the reasons I'm, I'm here today, obviously very, very challenging for the big aggregators. Yeah, I believe it, I believe it. And, and, and I mean, we can run through those numbers. So for, let, let's say a restaurant, like a standard restaurant, like on a normal day can manage, let's, I don't know, 20 out of home deliveries, maybe even 50 out of home yeah. deliveries, which might seem to be a high number for a small restaurant from my point of view. But let, let's go with 20. Yeah. And for those 20 orders, like having the e-commerce infrastructure themselves and like a delivery driver, if like, you add up like uh, 20 orders times 50, so we are talking like $1,000 a day, they would pay uh, $200, uh, including the delivery fee to just eat takeaway. Um, let's say they have like 25 business days running this. Um, that makes like $5,000 a month. They have yeah. to pay you. Um, I would have a hard time to imagine that some restaurant can uh, afford this uh, with own infrastructure and own delivery drivers. And that's actually the pitch you're, you're in. And it's a point from a certain growth stage. This, there's a, like a, a breaking point where you have to reduce your prices, for example. But mm. Uh, eventually they might shift like their own delivery fleet, but um, yeah, unit economics of delivery fleets usually don't work out, which actually brings me to the next very important topic because um, we saw like many grocery uh, delivery businesses uh, with Skittier and Fling and Gorillas and others, and some of them struggled and their big vision was like always to 
become a logistics company. So yeah. eventually, they are not only doing grocery delivery, but will also offer this for uh, pharmacy, for example, smaller fashion shops. And then when I saw them pitching that, I thought, okay, but there was a delivery business before, which was, for example, takeaway. So wh why haven't they done it before? If this, yeah. if, if it was so easy, so can, can we go into that? Yeah. So I think historically, why the, the big aggregators have been very hesitant with it is, is that typically we talked about the average order value is also lower. If you do your big weekly shop, you still go to the supermarket yourself because you buy hundreds of euros of worth for the entire family food yeah. for the weeks so to yes. speak. Um, it's more the small top-ups that then you would even be willing to order the, the, the milk, the chocolate, the sweets in the evening, the snacks, you know, very quick ad hoc things. Now, that basket altogether it comes to a lot less than the $50 that you mentioned earlier. Average roughly is about 28 euros, actually, what we're seeing in Germany, for instance, and, and a little more in the UK. But then again, throughout the pandemic, you saw all of these dark store players, the rapid grocery players like Gorilla, Skitir, GoPuff, Zap, Joker. Um, they were expanding like crazy. And they did that through the micro-fulfillment center, dark stores essentially, strategically located all over the inner city. And at the time, and they didn't do any of the big aggregators just included any favors, they advertised 15 minutes delivery times. There was a time where you would see 10 minute delivery times advertised on the London Tube to have grocery delivered to your doorstep. Now, to do that, you need to massively overstaff your couriers to be waiting outside these dark stores, and you need very good technology within these dark stores to very quickly pick these these deliveries. Because it's one thing if you're just offering a you know bunch of sweets and crisps, and you've got somebody just sort of packing these bags. The minute you offer five or ten thousand SKUs, SKUs um, different articles, from toothbrushes to crisps to uh, beers to razors. All of a sudden, you've got a pretty big dark store. So you, all of a sudden, Gorillas get here, started developing the big technologies, robotic fulfillment. And that's where it just becomes so, so, so expensive because you don't get commission on those, unlike the food delivery that we do. You don't get the commission on top of the delivery fees that you would charge consumers. You only get the delivery fee that you charge consumers if you're running one of these dark stores. And that's just why it becomes very, very challenging to drive profitable unique economics. I will say Lieferando, for instance, actually have their own dark stores now here in Berlin. We've got two. It's very interesting. It's a good learning curve for us. But uh, it's grocery difficult. dark store. Grocery not dark a, stores. Not a dark kitchen. Not a dark kitchen. We're talking about grocery uh, dark stores here. And actually now we're, you know, we've got media mark products in there. You, you can buy Apple Airports. You can buy hair dryers. You can buy beer. You can buy you, any any kind of grocery. And it's really. all through the Leaferando app? All through the Leaferando app, what we call the Leaferando Express. So how's the adaption there? Pretty good. Um, Truth is that... That sounds like a marketing statement. Well, it, it may be actually, but actually we didn't do this by pure choice. It's very difficult for us to get into the big grocery retailers here. Germany, especially culturally, is actually very opposed to that e-commerce drive. Yeah, Online penetration of groceries is a fifth of what it is in, in some of the other Western countries like the UK. So your Ravers, your Aldi, your Lidl's have been quite skeptical about partnering with a last mile delivery provider. So in, in absence of any of the big retailers, we've had to get creative and figure out how do we get groceries to our customers because, you know, we need to find our growth pockets beyond food delivery. And the most adjacent and nearest one, obviously, is grocery and, and, and convenience. Mm. So for Germany specifically, that was our answer in the short term. Um, in many of other markets, like the UK, we're far more advanced. Five of the six biggest supermarkets in the UK are listed on Just Eat. And you can offer from Sainsbury's, Co-op, Asta, Waitrose. They're all on there. Um, how, and how do you fulfill? Do you, do you need to stick um, with one supermarket when you, when you fill in your basket? Or do you allow the, the, the shopper to select from different supermarkets so your delivery 
fulfillment needs to pick up stuff from different no. supermarkets. So in, in its simplest form, it's from one supermarket and then there's different models. Some supermarkets, especially the ones that, have, that are very open to this kind of partnership, they actually have somebody in the store packing these bags. Our courier would turn up, pick up the bag and deliver yeah. it. Um, in others, um, our courier actually goes in there himself or herself and, and starts packing that bag, um, him or herself. Um, oh, okay. okay. But we would always... When you open your app, we would always list the ones that are closest to you or the ones that actually have the inventory that you want. You know, sometimes certain things must be sold out. I will record a podcast this evening with uh, Udo Kisslich, the main e-food influencer in Germany. And one of the concerns we have, or especially on the e-food grocery delivery market, is that we have this uh, inflation topics right now, or less money. Uh, um, obviously, e-food delivery is still connected with higher prices. So yeah. adaption rate is kind of stalling, even on low levels. Um from a global perspective, do you do you see this kind of of stalling on international markets, or like people are still moving from offline into online? So generally, we we see that trend, and and you know, as any pandemic darling will tell you, we we rode on that wave for a very long time. Pandemic ended, all of the restrictions were lifted, and we saw that dip in in the amount of sort of yeah. real pent down demand. Um, but the overall trajectory towards that last mile convenience is is still there it's far more advanced in some markets than others like the uk and in the us it's far more progressive go puff one of the earliest adopters in the dark store place um did so but you know slowly um other european countries are following suit canada again had to get very creative canada and australia in fact both had some of the longest covid restrictions in the world people were locked in whilst we were already out in in, in germany or in the uk or in france so supermarkets had to get creative so we're seeing those countries far more advanced also getting themselves out there and customers really buying into it. Um, other countries like, for instance, Germany and Austria, Switzerland also, they're still a bit more hesitant. There's still a much bigger interest in the brick and mortar operations walking into these stores, especially once you go beyond food delivery. Um, but that's our, you know, that, that's for us to figure out how we, how we drive that penetration, how we drive the awareness. Um, it's a lot easier to do with big markets, uh, but big chains that everybody knows. Yeah, we, we would love to list Edeka and, and Rave and whatnot, but that's not quite as straightforward. So you go to Berlin, for instance, the Spätis, they're, they're on there, or you go to uh, to Munich, you've got Kiefer um, on there, right? But that doesn't draw quite as much attraction as no, the big names. It's true. And it's like uh, one of the e-commerce or food bloggers in Germany wrote that Edeka's online strategy is Picnic. <laughs> Obviously, Adi opened there. Uh, their own facilities now with our help with Spryker. So, uh, and that, uh, I believe that's a movement eventually like for big chains doing this, owning the customer um, access. Yeah. We're, we're coming back to this topic like in a minute, but um, as we are talking about like dark stores, I would also talk, like to talk about dark kitchen because yeah. in my, uh, in my, uh, in my more or less hometown, Hamburg, mm -hmm. um, I saw like, dark kitchens with multiple brands so you would go like to a dark kitchen and then like this week they are listing like these three sushi brands and these three pasta brands next week only one of those brands from last week is still there and that's it it, it feels like they're playing like an arbitrage game mm -hmm. so they are listed with one kitchen with like six seven eight different brands in one location they see what works best maybe pasta is working better better in in summer yeah. and i don't know sushi is better working winter or the other way around doesn't matter and whatever works better uh, uh and eventually they all need like a stove and a frying pan and some ingredients uh, yeah. uh, and people putting them to them together and they need to leverage their uh, production capabilities um so it, it felt weird at, at, at first sight because we are used to this normal restaurants kind of thing but in a platform world it 
kind of made sense. And then I wanted to talk to you. So is it normal still? Is it, is it, is it, is it a super extreme example or is it kind of a normal strategy? No, uh, it's, it's far more normal now than it would have been a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Again, the pandemic accelerated that trend, but, but the idea of, of virtual kitchens or ghost kitchens was around beforehand. And the idea that you utilize your, your asset, your kitchen differently, um, and you have the same chefs doing different menus at the same time, obviously allows you to be listed in, in various... Is it, is it different chefs? Because if, if first I, we, we started this conversation with uh, restaurants being a bit hesitant of being listed on aggregators. Yeah. And then uh, when they learned, okay, now orders are coming in and have a much, much better utilization, then they think, okay, maybe I can even extend my opening hours because I have this kitchen anyway. So yeah. why should I just work it like for five hours? I can do it like for 10 hours or 15 hours. And maybe I'm a bit smarter in like hiring people and uh, uh, whatever. So... It, it feels like a new generation of like kitchen owners, restaurant owners being this kind of on. It's it's really kind of an online first restaurant experience. This kind of dark kitchen thing because they, they they understand that having space for tables, having people coming to your restaurant and do, want to do the pickup, that's kind of extra cost you're adding to the to, to the org chart. And, and it was for me kind of thing. Okay, that's an online first kitchen which and it's i need to digest this kind of thought <laughs> first but but you say that that's the way it goes now well it's it's certainly a growing trend and we're seeing more and more of it again the countries that i mentioned earlier like the uk like the us they're a bit more advanced there you would see less of mm -hmm. that in germany for instance now um the aggregators including ourselves they're pretty strict on the rules with this kind of stuff because you can artificially inflate the number of restaurants you show quite quickly there's a bit of a health and safety concern. There's also needing to make customers aware of the fact that this all comes from the same kitchen. But yeah, it's a huge trend. You'd be surprised. There's a whole industry out there of companies that only rent out the kitchen to virtual rest restaurants. So you'd have a... How does this work? Well, you, you, you own a kitchen or a couple of kitchens. And throughout the day, you have different chefs in there doing different menus throughout the week on rotation. And either you purely suck at the kitchen or you let operators of these virtual kitchens let, uh, rent them. And it's in that sense very clever because that kitchen is no longer just fit for purpose to do pasta or, or what you would be doing in, in a steakhouse who, restaurant. Who would do that? Who, so let, let, let's assume we are chefs or, yeah. or you're a chef and I'm a marketing guy, whatever, and say, wouldn't it be great to have like Japanese pasta? I don't yeah. know if there's Japanese pasta. And we want to do it and we don't want to open our restaurant. Then we, then we would look for somebody providing like a, a dark kitchen and yeah. we say, okay, let's use it maybe on Sunday and Saturdays, like uh, uh, apart from our uh, next... Um, apart from our normal jobs, and let's try a menu with Japanese pasta, and I do There's some photos and texting, and you do the you do the cooking stuff yeah. like this. Pretty much, um, and you'd be surprised that the newest concept there is bringing in star chefs to create these menus for you. Oh. If you're from Hamburg, you're probably familiar with Go by Hensler, mm -hmm. uh, listed on Lieferando, uh, by the way, very successfully. So, and that, that's exactly that Hensler, um, who, who I know very well and who we've partnered up with. He created that menu, and, and that's purely for delivery. Um, and that is specifically created for that opponent. And, and we're seeing more and more of that. In fact, uh, again, looking at uh, Western Europe, Spain and Italy, for instance, we see some of the Michelin star chefs creating their own virtual menus and they then sell them or, or essentially franchise them to be used with their name um, as a new restaurant, virtual restaurant that you okay, would have to go to. Let me just, just to digest and just understand. Okay, let's say we don't have the Germanese pasta idea, uh, but we say, wouldn't it be great to have this Hensler Michelin experience here, here, uh, here. Berlin is kind of boring. Let's say um, Rotterdam. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's not there. So uh, we could go to Hensler and say, you know, we cannot cook, but we have somebody who has a dark kitchen. We would like to 
we would like to license your uh, your brand here for Rotterdam, like yep. for our dark uh, kitchen, pay you, I don't know, 500 bucks uh, uh, a month and yep. then list it on Just Eat Takeaway. That's how it works. That's pretty much how it works. That's one of the ways it works. That's one of the latest trends we're seeing. And you're seeing that everywhere. And there's an entire industry out there now of companies who would own a bunch of these virtual stores um, and they would license a lot of these menus from Starships all around the world and they put this stuff online and, and then you obviously would list on all the aggregators. It's smart. That's far better. So our Japanese pasta idea, which you just created, we, we don't need to do it ourselves. No, no, we no. Just need you to you pay, enough, pay a chef. We do, yeah, well, we just need to create enough buzz around it yeah. so people come to us and say, you are now a run a dark kitchen and I want to sell it. Yeah. That's a much better one. It, it is. Cool. And the minute you... Do you add, do it? Do you do it? Yeah. We do it. No, but do you, you as a Leonard, you, yeah. you have a license? No, I, 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 Leonard um, himself does not know. Leonard's pasta? Leonard's pasta. No, but it's, it's, it's huge industry out there and it's developing it. And you actually see the, the by adding the celebrity chef component to it, you, you, the prices are immediately much higher. So the, the Go Hensler, for instance, the average basket that we see there is, is far bigger than the average leaf run one. And he's not even a good chef. <laughs> well, it depends on what you ask. I think the sushi is pretty darn good. Um, but be that as it may, that's again a different way to innovate in the industry. Actually, just capturing what's already out there slightly differently and remarketing. I it. definitely need to ask one of the podcasts. I need to invite a chef and ask him why, why they are still doing this, this stuff in the kitchen their own. Because I saw a lot of documentaries on Netflix and like yeah. on, on Michelin chefs, and it seemed like it's a disastrous kind of job because it's like a twenty-four hour. It's so much better to have like a, a TV show <laughs> and a brand <laughs> like. Uh, um, position so you can sell this license it, it is and it's an expensive game um make no mistake but what's interesting for the for the everyday consumer is expensive is for the franchisee for the franchisee yeah. well, what we don't need to take the Hensler example but let, let's take the rotterdam example so yeah. we try to get a license from a, from a chef what, what mm -hmm. do we need to pay so there's there's a, one of royalty fee that you pay depending on the the size of the or the the, the fame of that chef okay and then and is then you ballpark ballpark it did really vary, so I, I couldn't say. Um, but but, five, yeah, but digits, five digits. Yeah, something like that. But, but but that's before we even start talking. And then, typically, there would be commission on every single order. Now, not the kind of commission that Leaf Veranda would take off your average restaurant, but a very small percentage of every delivery that goes out. I mean, and that's why and it's so lucrative. And a monthly royalty fee. Um, again, that depends. Wouldn't typically be the case. Um, but that's where we really now see being, now being a famous like TV cook makes sense. It's, oh, it's, and and it's a different way for you to to sell your name. That's how you get out there. Which is again where the marketplace phenomenon of offer leaf rondo is so interesting because we're also creating a different type of supply for our consumers who no longer just see all of the restaurants that are around them that probably know by now. But we're creating restaurants they can't even go to in person. Um, and that's again a whole different way of us providing more supply. Okay, and then maybe last question is, as we're running, running out of time, like on the on the customer persona, because obviously when Pizza Day started, yeah. like it was like usually the students persona yeah. targeting this. But when you're now describing, okay, people are paying way higher prices for a franchise brand, whatever. So is it really now a thing also like in high income households where you live like in your villa and like getting really getting food maybe food for two paying 100 dollars and more like for for delivered food big time yeah yeah and that's obviously that's where we uh, just eat but also our competitors are looking for untapped potential because you're completely right the historic reputation of food takeaways the sort of hangover sun does it make sense to have it like in one app that wouldn't it make sense to have like an extra app like the uh, <laughs> jet black yeah <laughs> um probably not because 
believe it or not, even though we've got very good, very, very good restaurants out there on our platform, you know, way over, way over 60,000, um, for instance, just in the UK alone, people still like the McDonald's. They still like the, the but pizza and burgers next door. For the, for the rich couple in the, in the villa. Yeah. That wants to have only like the high quality stuff and they don't want to see like, you don't want to see the burgers and the pizza like when you're selecting. Yeah. You only want to see like stuff beyond like 50 bucks. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, you, you would sort it by price range. Um, I think for us, it wouldn't be sustainable to be running our own up. But, but be that as it may, um, that is a whole different world out there that we can tap into and we're going to get more. And to give an example, I don't know if you've ever been to London, Hakasan, one of the most glamorous Mayfair restaurants, is actually listed on the aggregator staff. Cheapest, cheapest dish you'll find there is 15, 20 euros just for a starter. So, so many new ideas just out of these like 20 minutes. Yeah. So, um, I definitely, uh, I definitely need to do a follow up with you on, on these topics. Thank you okay. for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.